win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Boise State for the win. They hand it off to Johnson. Boise State has won the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Can you believe it? He's going for the corner. State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Welcome back to another episode of the Fifth Year Podcast. On this episode, we have a great interview with Brett McMurphy. Talked about the Alliance Big 12 expansion, 12-team playoff season and week one preview, including his college football playoff predictions. Be sure to tune in on Thursday. We'll be releasing a mini episode talking about our week one predictions, Heisman picks, as well as conference and national championship futures. Include some fan questions, so be sure to tune into that. Now on to our interview with Brett McMurphy. We are super, super excited to welcome someone that really is, I think, the voice of college football, someone that represents our game really well, someone I consider the best reporter in, in college football. He recently joined the Action Network, and that is Brett McMurphy. Brett previously spent time with the Tampa Tribune, CBS Sports, ESPN, and Stadium. So, Brett, before we get into college or into what's going on in the field, off the field, I just wanted to ask you why why Action Network and why now? I have I love Action Network. Uh, they obviously focus on sports betting insights and analytics. So, what about action was attractive to you yeah well when i was at the tampa tribune i was there about 20 years and then i left to go work for an online uh, site the aol fan house may it rest in peace <laughs> um because I, unfortunately i saw that you know newspapers were were dying and i didn't like that but that was the reality so i wanted to get online because i knew that was the future and so i was there went to espn um part of the mass layoffs at ESPN. So then once I could leave ESPN after my contract was up with them, uh, we went to stadium, enjoyed it there. They're heavily involved in, you know, cable television and regional sports networks. And, you know, there is cord cutting going on as we speak. And I had this opportunity to go to the Action Network, which you mentioned, you know, um, provides tremendous analytics for people that are, that are wagering gives you all sorts of information and tools um, to look at these games really in depth. And basically they had an interest in me and just to continue reporting and covering college football, how I, how I have done in the past, you know, to break news, I broke the Nebraska NCAA investigation story a couple weeks ago. Um, and so, you know, there will be, you know, obviously I'll have more, um, more, to, I guess, priority to to sports betting and those sort of things but still i'm just you know my number one job is to break news and report on college football so i just you know the way that sports betting going is going you know more and more states legalize it you know every every single year um you know i think it's it's a rocket ship and so that's basically uh you know that's why i made the jump and you know i think you know i think i'm the first like news reporter at a non-traditional media outlet 
but I think you'll see a lot more in the, in the coming future, whether, you know, whether it's FanDuel or, or um, Barstool or Amazon or Netflix or what, whatever the future may hold on. You know, right, right now I think I'm the only one, but I think, you know, in a few years, I think everyone's going to be doing that as more and more of these non-traditional media companies want to get involved uh, in the sports content business. Right. Yeah. That's, it's the way of the future, it seems. And I've, I've actually had the chance to meet a couple of years ago. I met Patrick Keene and some of those guys. So that's, it seems like a, a really great group that you're working with there. And yeah, it's uh, uh, exciting times on the, on the sports and the sports betting front. So that's, that's uh, really, really cool. Yeah, Brett, thanks again for joining us. So let's move on to the Alliance. Obviously, you've been super involved with the Alliance news and you first reported it being announced on Tuesday. It seems more like a gentleman's agreement, but what are your thoughts on that and how serious is this and kind of what's the main reasoning for it? Well, you're absolutely right. It is a gentleman's agreement. Um, and I was hoping you guys would tell me what the reasoning for this is because <laughs> I still don't know. Uh, you know, they provided a lot of descriptive pie-in-the-sky type ideas um but there's there was no con- concrete news and I, I talked to people you know within those three conferences i talked to people outside of those conferences after the announcement was made and the general tone was why the sense of urgency to announce that when you, there's really no concrete detail they say they want to have future scheduling um together well, they can do that they don't have to have an alliance to do that um you know and the thing is and look I, i've I have a lot of people I work with and have known for a long time and in a lot of these conferences and a lot of these schools. So I don't mean to take a shot at them, but here comes the but. It's, they're just so hypocritical about this whole thing because the only reason they did an alliance is because there's no schools left in the Big 12 that would add value to those conferences, the Big 10, the Pac-12, and the ACC, or they would have added them. They would have gone after them, whether it's West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, whoever. So they got with their TV consultants. They figured out what everyone else knows is that those schools are not at any value. So they can't add any schools. They can't react to what the SEC did. So now they're going to say, well, we're going to work together. We're going to work together as an alliance. Well, I had one source tell me, well, if they say they want to work together, then why are they excluding the Big 12? Why didn't you include the Big 12 in the alliance? And oh, by the way, the five Power Five conferences currently work together overall anyway. So now you're separating groups within those five conferences. And the bottom line is, and you guys know this as well as I do, if Oklahoma and Texas would have went and knocked on the door at the Big Ten headquarters or went to the Pac-12, those guys would have took them in a heartbeat, just like the SEC did. So don't act like that you're doing this you know, kumbaya effort out of the goodness of your heart and the goodness of college football, you're doing it because the SEC got the two biggest um, available, can- you know, available programs out there. And now you're trying to figure out how to try to make face and, and make it appear that you're stronger than the SEC when, in essence, I think it's just the opposite. I think it just proves that and just shows the SEC is more powerful that they're going to those link, these links to kind of bond together and, and, you know, work together down the road. So um, I'm, I'm sure I didn't answer your question, but the, the very honest truth is I have no idea what this is going to mean and nobody else does. 
Maybe we'll know in a few weeks, maybe we'll know in a few months, maybe we'll know in a few years, but certainly they did not provide any information um, from the press conference the other day. Right. So it seems the way you answered that you're, you don't expect any big 12 teams to get, to get poached here in the next few years. You think it's uh, that's kind of a long shot at this point. Yeah, I, I do because they would have they wouldn't have announced that they're doing this for the good of college football, and you know they wouldn't have said all that if they were going to you know turn around and ask Oklahoma State or Texas Tech or whoever to join their league you know a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. So, and also the only reason you add teams in expansion is if you can increase the value per team in your conference. So. By adding OU in Texas, obviously you add more value per school um, in the SEC because that's how much value those those two teams bring in. Let's say if the Pac-12 wanted to go to 16, and look, I'm an Oklahoma State alum, but I, I'm smart enough to know if they had Oklahoma State and three other schools out of the Big 12, it doesn't matter who they are, the amount of money that the Pac-12 would get per school would be less than what it currently gets. So, so you, you don't add schools to make less money. But the good news in this whole thing is with all these, with the other three power leagues staying put, the Big 12 will have a chance to survive, <laughs> whether they like it or not, because yeah. the remaining eight schools have nowhere to go. Um, so now what they'll do is they'll figure out, you know, do they want to add two teams or four teams? And, you know, it's going to be the usual suspects from the group of five conferences, whether it's UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, Boise. They'll have to figure that out. I actually had a source tell me a couple of weeks ago that they would make more money if they stayed at eight teams per school than if they added, you know, two or four group of five schools. The problem is they can't stay at eight because then they would have to have five non-conference games. And that's simply going to be impossible the way that the, other power leagues are, you know, increasing their conference schedules and also doing these scheduling alliances. So um, the good news is that Big 12 has got a fighting chance, um, but they, you know, the more success they have on the field and in the college football playoff and all those things, the better for their long-term um, survival. Uh, but if it's clear from, from the start in the next few years when they do add these group of five teams that they're clearly the worst of the five, then we may see a consolidation where the power power five is reduced to a power four. So do you see, or from what you've heard, what would be the expected TV money for a watered-down Big 12? Would it be in kind of a 10 to $15 million per school range? Is it going to get cut that badly, or could they could – they make something out of it where it's not too drastic? Well, it's going to be drastic. I mean, Bob Bowlesby, the big 12 commissioner basically admitted OU and Texas account for 50% of the value. And I think right now, and these numbers are different depending on who you talk to and how they, how they calculate it. But I think right now they're, they're about 30 to 35 million per school per year. So if you take Texas and OU out of that cut in half, you're around 17 or 18 um, million per year. But then when you add some group of fives, that's actually going to reduce your value. It's not going to stay the same. So it's going to dip a little bit, but by comparison, the American right now, I think they make maybe six or 7 million per school per year. So 
it's not going to drop from 17 to 7, but it may drop to maybe 15, 14, 15. Um, I think 10 would be a huge, huge drop. Uh, it could happen. We'll have to find out. Um, you know, the, the best thing for the Big 12 is that hopefully, you know, there's multiple networks bidding on them. ESPN, Fox, um, you know, I mentioned, you know, maybe an Amazon or Netflix or somebody wants to get involved. Apple TV wants to get involved broadcasting live college football. That certainly would help their um, their value. But, yeah, they're not going to be anywhere near the SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC, but they should be, you know, at minimum they should be double what the other group of five leagues are making. And so that's that's why they should have a pick of whoever they want out of the group of five because those schools will definitely come to a new conference when they can double the amount of TV revenue they're getting. If it's since it is really all about the TV revenue, wouldn't BYU really? I know there's other factors when it comes to BYU with uh, religious affiliations and such, but just pure eyeballs wise, they'd bring the most on that front, right? You're right. And BYU is, and look, I, in fact, um, my family and I, we went, went to vaca- went vaca- vacationing, I'll spit it out here, in Utah. And we actually, um, we were near Salt Lake City, and we drove up to Pup Provo one day. And I love that campus. It's so beautiful. Um, I've covered a game up there. It's it's just unreal. And I, I, you know, I say this with all sincerity. I love that place. It's unbelievable. It's the, the mountain behind the stadium. Really cool. And the people I know at that university are always great to me. But when talking with people at various conferences, when they talk about BYU, they say that sometimes it's difficult to deal with BYU. And you mentioned the religious affiliations. There's also some, you know, they have their their honor code on campus, which there's some things that other university presidents don't uh, necessarily agree with. So you've got philosophical differences there. But, you know, they've obviously they'd kill to be in the big 12. They'd kill to be in the Pac 12. They've never received that invitation up to this point, but maybe this is the big 12 is desperate enough now that they'll, they'll put aside whatever differences they have with, with BYU or, or overlook whatever concerns they have because um, yeah, they would certainly, you know, as far as the, the teams that you're comparing them with, which is pretty much everybody else in the group of five, they certainly would be, if they're not the top, TV draw, they would certainly be in the top three or four. Again, the more success they have, the more attractive they are. Um, but they do have a, you know, they do have a kind of quasi-national following. They're kind of a Notre Dame light, if you will. But again, it's despite having all those benefits, no one has wanted to be a part, wanted to be partnered with them, with the exception of when they were in the Mountain West. Will this time be maybe different? We'll have to find out, but I think certainly they will get a very long look from the Big 12 um, as far as a potential addition to that league. Yeah, so before the OU Texas moved to the SEC, the wheels were kind of already in motion for the 12-team playoff. Will this have any effect on that, or is it still kind of going to stay the same? Well, we'll get an idea. At the end of September, the the 10 conference commissioners in Notre Dame, A.D. Jack Swarbrick, meet part of their college football playoff management committee meetings. And they will have that discussion. Um, you know, look, we're, we're not going to have a, 
the fourteen playoff is going to go away, thankfully. Um, the soonest we could have an expanded playoff, we we have to play two more seasons with the four year playoff. Could we change it after that? It's a possibility. But with this new alliance, one of the reasons that people have told me behind the scenes, and I think other people have reported it, is because there's a concern when the twelve team playoff recommendation was made that there wasn't a representative from either the ACC or the Big Ten, Big, excuse, yeah, Big Ten or Pac-12 on the on the subcommittee that did that. Um, so I don't necessarily think that those conferences don't want to go to twelve um, to a twelve-team playoff, but I think maybe they want it to the fourteen playoff to go ahead and finish out. It's, it's we've got five more years maximum left of it. They don't want it to maybe finish out. So then after that, then it's up, it's up for bid. If it's, if they cut the contract, the 12 year contract after nine years, which would be two years from now, then basically ESPN can just negotiate with the playoff committee and they can strike a new deal. They don't have any competition. So there's really no, you know, they're competing against themselves. So there's some people involved or concerned that if ESPN isn't bidding against anybody else, they're not going to get the most value out of that. So that may cause it to push back and we may have to wait five years. Um, look, everybody in the, in the Alliance wants the playoff to expand. I think they just want to have their say at it. Uh, will they tweak it? Will we go to eight teams, 10, 12? I don't know. It will be expanded. Um, it may have a little different, form and they they may play games different places or do different things um but what the good news is we're getting out of the 14 playoff i just think we may have to wait a little bit longer than we expected because i think everybody expected we would have the 12 team playoff after the next two years because <laughs> there's nobody on the face of the earth that's going to say hey guys we're gonna have a 12 team playoff we're really excited now you gotta wait five years that's a that's a pr disaster because no one's going to talk about the 14 playoff this year. All they're going to talk about is, well, if the 12 team playoff was in place now, these teams would have made it. But instead, we're stuck with these four teams. So hopefully, that will that will spur them to do it quicker. Um, but again, you know, we got to see. And there is a real concern amongst some of the power brokers about ESPN um, not having to bid against other media companies, and that makes a lot of sense because obviously they want to get as much money as possible. Right now, looking back now, that has to be awkward with because uh, it was what Bowlesby and Sankey were the two uh, commissioners that were in that playoff group, right? That was, um, yeah, and, and Notre Dame's Notre Dame's AD Jack Swarbrick, and I think Craig Thompson, the Mountain West commissioner. Um, yeah, and so there's you know whether it's you know there are some people that are pissed that Sankey was part of that 12, you know, coming up with the 12 team format all the while he's talking to OU in Texas. But even if they weren't talking to OU in Texas, they still would have recommended a 12 team playoff. So, you know, again, the, the conference commissioners that are pissed that it happened, they're pissed because they didn't get OU in Texas. But every, every one of those conferences would have done the exact same thing the SEC did. And to pretend like they wouldn't is comical at best. But yeah, you're right. It's you know, and I know saying I know the the commit. In fact, they had a call um, last week. All 
all of the commissioners do a weekly call or all the power five commissioners do a weekly call. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious how those calls go when, when Bowlesby and Sankey are on the same line now. I, what I don't know is if they've actually, if they've actually had uh, face-to-face encounters since that went down, but I know they will for sure. And uh, the end of September, if they don't before that. Gotcha. Now shifting more into on the field stuff here, kind of a rapid fire here. You don't need to dive too much into it. Who, who do you see winning uh, the Power Five conferences this season? Well, I'm going to stick with Alabama because, um, you know, I past years I thought, oh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be the, I'll be the cool guy. I'll pick against Alabama because they lost all the draft picks. They've got a new offensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? I was, <laughs> I was wrong. So I'm sticking with Saban and Bama. Um, stop me if you've heard this before, because it's going to sound exactly like the last three or four years. Ohio State's the class of the Big Ten, um, Oklahoma and the Big 12. Uh, one thing maybe that makes Oklahoma's road a little bit tougher, we have to find out with all that, I'm sure all the hatred and everything that's going to come out from a, when they go into opposing stadiums, include, including uh, Bedlam on November 27th. Will that, will that impact OU at the, on the field at all? Uh, we'll have to find out, but I still think for the class, even though Iowa State could possibly challenge. Uh, you know, the ACC, it's look, it's Clemson, North Carolina are the, are the two top teams. Clemson's obviously the better team. And after Clemson and North Carolina, Miami it maybe could challenge. After that, you fall off a cliff, and I'm not even sure who's still in that conference. I'm kidding, kind of. And then the Pac-12, um, I see going for a little bit of an underdog here, um, the Utah Utes um, with former Baylor quarterback Charlie Brewer. Um, their schedule's good. Their toughest road game's at USC, and they've got an open date before that. They get Oregon at home. And, um, you know, the, the thing with Utah and the thing about the Pac-12, everyone likes to dismiss them because they don't get to the playoffs very often. They don't win a national championship. But I think top to bottom, they may actually be the – the best conference depth-wise and strength-wise, they've got a lot of really good teams. They've got five in the top 25. The problem is they don't have that elite team. They don't have that Alabama. They don't have that Ohio State. They don't have that Oklahoma. So they kind of beat up on each other. But I'm, the, I guess the only non-shock pick of, for me is, is Utah winning the Pac-12. All right, so let's get into some playoff predictions. Uh, you can also find the playoff predictions and the uh, Brett's bowl predictions on the action network website. But <clears throat> Brett, why don't you give us your playoff predictions and maybe some under the radar teams? Yeah. Well, I went, you know, I stuck with Alabama. I've got Ohio state in there. I've got Oklahoma. Uh, I think, I think those three teams will run the table, which of course means they're all headed for eight and four seasons. And then I've got actually Georgia getting the fourth spot. I think Georgia upsets Clemson in the opener. I think they run the table, but then I think that they lose to Alabama in the SEC title game. But I think um, because they had the head-to-head over Clemson, they would get in over Clemson. Um, Nobody else from the Big Ten or Big 12 will be high enough up there. And like I said, the Pac-12 will beat up on people. Um, So I think Georgia would get that spot. She'd have two SEC teams in the playoff. Um, As far as under the radar, I mean, I don't know if being the seventh-ranked team in the country is under the radar, but, you know, Iowa State is just so loaded with talent. 
um, I guess pretty much everybody is because with the super seniors coming back this season. Uh, but I really like them. My my only concern for Iowa State, and you know, one positive is they've done what a lot a lot of schools, most schools have not done, and that's going to Norman and win. So they know they can beat Oklahoma. They know they can win in Norman. Um, however, this you know they've never been ranked this high going into the preseason, and it's you know it's going to be a different mindset for them. They're going from being the hunter to being the hunted, and it's a lot different when you got a bullseye you know, on your chest, as opposed to kind of sneaking up or kind of being disrespected. How will they handle that? Uh, you know, we'll find out early. They play Iowa um, in the opening month. And uh, they've lost, uh, I don't know, five or six consecutive games to Iowa, whatever the number is. And I think they're projected to be a, a touchdown or more favorite against a team they haven't beaten, you know, that nobody on this team has ever beaten. I think we'll learn a lot about Iowa State right off the bat against the Hawkeyes. If Iowa State can beat Iowa by double digits, then I think they've got a legitimate shot to get to the playoff. Obviously, they're going to have to beat OU and win the Big 12 to do that. Right, which is obviously OU's on this run, and Iowa State, like you said, beat them in, or beat them in uh, Ames last year, but going to, going to Norman will be tough. So we'll kind of finish up here with uh, just kind of a rapid fire of the week biggest games from week one uh just your quick thoughts on the game and if you have a pick um yet so thursday's biggest or week one's uh, biggest game on thursday is boise is traveling to ucf so two of the better group of five programs in the country what are your thoughts on that one uh winner don't tell me when the winner goes to the big 12 uh i'm <laughs> going with ucf they're actually my pick to get to the group of five in the New Year's Six game. I think I know everyone loves Cincinnati. I, I think they're really good also. But Cincinnati uh, gets Indiana and Notre Dame in the non-conference. I think UCF wins the American. I think UCF handles Boise. Uh, the Gus bus uh, is in Orlando now, so I like the, I like the Knights. I, I agree with you there. I think – and I also like the uh, Dylan Gabriel at quarterback – uh, I mean, I don't know Ritter was uh, offensive player in the year of the American, but I think Gabriel's, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the group of five. Yeah, Next. he's really nice, and they run a nice offense. And Gus, you know, having coached at Auburn, he'll want to prove to everybody that he can uh, he can prove people wrong and win at UCF. Yeah, I've been harping on that um, last few weeks. I, I really think that's a good fit there. Next, we'll go uh, Big Ten matchup in week one Penn State is traveling to Wisconsin Wisconsin's a four and a half point favorite um Wisconsin's defense we really really good under Jim Leonard um and Penn State's looking for a bounce back year what do you think here you know I've got I rank Penn State uh probably higher than a lot of people in the in my AP um top 25 poll um and I'm gonna I'm gonna take Penn State here and i and a little bit of a shocker. I really like what Paul Christ has done there. It's not easy to go into Madison and win, but I think this is a huge game for, for James Franklin and Penn State. You know, last year was a very disappointing season. You know, I kind of take last year with a grain of salt with everybody, um, with COVID and everything that was going on with that. But I think Penn State needs this kind of as a statement game coming out of the gate. So I would I would take Penn State. And I'd like it even more if I'm getting uh, four points. So I'd go with the Nittany Lions. All right. Next up, we'll go uh, Alabama and Miami are facing off, and it is in Atlanta. Does Miami have any sort of shot? They're an 18 and a half point dog. 
Yeah, they don't. And the thing is that look, the number this number should probably be thirteen, maybe maybe fourteen. But that's just you know, odds maker no, odds makers know everyone's going to take Alabama because it's Alabama. So that's why this number is so inflated. Um, what I would do, I would play Alabama in the first half. I think last year, I should look this up. Last year, they covered the first half maybe like another <laughs> fourteen games, probably. 12 or 13 of those 14 games and then they get ahead by so much in the second half and Saban just takes his foot off off the pedal um I think Miami can hang around in this game a little bit but I think ultimately Alabama wears them down and I know they've got a new quarterback I know Bill O'Brien's a new offensive coordinator I knew that I know they lost half a dozen (laughs) first round draft picks to the NFL they lost a dozen picks overall but you know what you don't bet against Nick Saban, and even though it's 18, I'm going to be a square, <laughs> and I'm going to lay the 18 because I think somehow, some way, Alabama um, takes care of Miami um, and continues a march to become, you know, a rare defending national champ that we don't see uh, very frequently these days. I agree with you there. So another Big Ten matchup: Indiana and Iowa. Uh, Indiana's traveling to Iowa. Indiana, obviously, with a historic season for their standards last season. Do you think they're going to start off uh, hot in 2021? Um, I love Tom Allen. He's an incredible coach. Um, in fact, I covered him when he was a high school coach here in Tampa. Um, shows how far he's come. Uh, not so much for me, but he, yeah, he's an <laughs> incredible guy. But I've got to go with Iowa. I mean, Indiana's won five one score games in the last two years, those things usually have a way of evening out the following year. Uh, and I think Iowa's maybe a field goal favorite. Give me Iowa, you know, laying a small number at home against the Hoosiers. The game that I think is the most underrated of the, of the weekend is Louisiana traveling to Texas. Louisiana obviously beat Iowa State last year by 17 or 18. Uh, Texas still uh, question marks at quarterback, whether it's Casey Thompson or Hudson Card. Uh, I think the spread, in my opinion, is a little too big with it being Texas favored by eight and a half. Uh, could Louisiana beat a Big 12 team two seasons in a row? You know, I actually like Texas here. I know, I know. you know, Louisiana has done a lot of great things with Billy Napier. Um, and I think this number opened like double digits and now yeah. it's down to, you know, seven, eight, nine, whatever it is. Uh, I think this is a public underdog, and usually public underdogs don't fare very well. This is a, you know, it's not like a huge game for Sark, but he certainly wants to get off on the right foot with the Longhorns. Uh, we saw what Sark did with Alabama's offense last year, record-setting offense for the Crimson Tide. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't have Devontae Smith and Mac Jones in Austin, but I think I think um, Texas, look, Texas is not going to overlook Louisiana, so I think they get they're an A plus effort out of the Longhorns, and I think just the difference in talent and size. Uh, I think Texas wins this thing pretty handily. Uh, out on the West Coast, LSU is traveling to UCLA. It'll be interesting to see who has more fans there. But LSU uh, favored by four. UCLA expected to be improved with Dorian Thompson Robinson under center. Uh, could they uh, win this game? And what would be easily the biggest of Chip Kelly's short tenure there. Yeah, I, I like UCLA getting the four points. Um, you know, LSU, you know, last year was a disaster. Uh, again, COVID to so take it with a grain of salt. 
Um, but there's you know critics of of Ed Ogeron and LSU, and they look at they look at uh, Orgeron and say, okay, what have you done without Joe Burrow? We're going to find out this year. Max Johnson gets a start uh, for the Tigers. Uh, you know UCLA. Um, you know they will have a, they have a game under their belt. So will that be an advantage? Um, possibly, but then LSU also gets to see. You know see UCLA on on film so that could be a disadvantage that'll even out I, I think this will be a tight game LSU's not going to be intimidated by any means but um, I think UCLA may be one of the surprise teams this season and I'll take I'll take the Bruins uh getting the four points all right last two here so the big one and you uh touched on this one earlier Georgia versus Clemson you said you like Georgia to win and then get all the way to the SEC championship before losing but what do you like about uh, Georgia here in this matchup? I just, you know, I think they're getting three, three and a half, three, three and a half. Um, I think they'll win outright. I mean, I think with JT Daniels at quarterback, the, the second half of last year, you know, Kirby Smart, they must have tied him up and, and you know, continually showed tapes of JT Daniels throwing the ball deep and he finally changed his mind not to run so much and so i think if unless kirby smart reverts back to wanting to run the majority of the game with offensive coordinator todd monk and i think the bulldogs will open it up uh you know year in year out they're one of the most athletic teams they're always one of the best teams as far as recruiting uh certainly they played this caliber of opponent when they play in the sec when they play you know against alabama um usually for the sec title they're not going to be intimidated I just think Georgia's the better team. Clemson, you know, you have to replace Trevor Lawrence. Um, certainly Clemson's got a great defense with Venables. I just I just think I think the wrong team's favored. I know what Clemson's favored because they've been to the playoff, you know, a hundred years in a row. Georgia has not. And so um I'll I'll happily take the uh, gift three and a half points. All right. So we'll wrap up with this one Sunday night matchup with Notre Dame traveling, traveling to Florida state, which I think is funny Notre Dame playing on a Sunday, but uh, Notre Dame's favored by seven and a half Florida state obviously has quarterback competition, which isn't wrapped up Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis and Notre Dame looks like Jack Cohn, the Wisconsin trade transfer is going to be the guy there. Uh, could Florida state sneak up and upset Notre Dame here? Yeah, I mean, call me a sucker, but I'm, I'm going to take Florida State in the, you know, over a touchdown. I mean, look, Florida State always has incredible recruiting classes. They got just so much talent. And, you know, they've had some issues, you know, on and off the field there in Tallahassee. But I think, I think Mike Norvell, you know, has, has done a good job about rallying the team together. Um, you know, and th- this is not going to be a, an easy spot for Notre Dame. You know, like you mentioned, Jack Cohn makes his first start for the Irish. Well, I think Notre Dame surprised a lot of people last year and how well they played. I think they'll take a little bit of a dip. Um, and I think, you know, everyone's, you know, excited to get back and watch games in person. So I think, you know, it's going to be a, a big advantage for Florida State, um, you know, with the home crowd. And I'm going to go with, uh, with the Seminoles. All right. Well, we're really, really looking forward to a great uh, slate of week one games. And Brett, we really, really appreciate you taking your time um, in this hectic 
off season to talk about everything that's been going on in the college football world here in the last month or so. And then looking ahead into week one. So if you, uh, for those of you that don't follow him already, you really should follow Brett on Twitter. He's the, the best of the best. And his Twitter is at Brett McMurphy. So Brett, once again, thank you so, so much. We, we really do appreciate your time. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. That was our interview with Brett McMurphy. Now on to college football news. It looks like the Big 12 is looking at BYU per The Athletic. Yeah, The Athletic is saying that uh, the Big 12, well, we know they're, they've made a subcommittee um, with four administrators from Big 12 schools to look at uh, options as far as expansion goes for the Big 12. And the first school that's being noted that they are taking a serious look at is BYU, which like we just talked about in with uh, talked about in our interview with, with Brett, it makes a lot of sense. BYU has a huge following on top of those that went to BYU. They have just the Mormon support. So there's all, they really do have a, a big TV presence more so than the other candidates for, uh, for expansion. So I think BYU makes a lot of sense. Sure. You have a few hurdles. You have to decide if it's going to be a football only type relationship or if, it be all sports. They can't play Sundays. So there's some issues there, but I think stuff that you could overcome because they're the one school I think that would increase the piece of the pie per Big 12 school because they're, they'd immediately be in the upper three, four um, in TV v- viewership numbers. I'm just going to kind of dive in and say what I think I would do if I was the Big 12 expansion-wise. First, I would add four teams. I'd get back to 12 consider adding six and get to 14, but then you're really dividing that pie up amongst with schools that might not be bringing those. Are there six that would join though? Like six, that would make sense. If you went six, so you have the, the obvious or sorry, I'm going to whip him back there. I would, th- th- there's three obvious ones for me and that's Cincinnati, central Florida and BYU. The fourth is tougher. There are several schools you could do, it would make sense to pair Boise State with BYU if you're going to go out west. You, you don't want BYU out there by themselves. So BYU, Boise State makes sense, and I mean they're a, they bring um, legit prowess in football. So you, the Big Twelve wants to keep their their football. Their football's what runs everything, so they need the football to be strong. So Boise would be an ideal candidate as far as just the football goes. But they're not in a huge market. Boise is a big city, but not a huge market. Idaho, not a, not a ton of viewers there. So you could go that route with Boise, or you could go with an SMU or Houston for that fourth spot. Keep a little bit more of the traditional roots with some Texas presence there. Houston would make a lot of sense. It's a big school. Uh, apparently, uh, I think their uh, their director of their board of regents and the last round of realignment was difficult to deal with. So some big 12 folks don't love dealing with Houston, but they're a, a big school, big athletic program, successful athletic program. So Houston could make sense. SMU um, could also make sense. They are finally taking strides in the football field under Sonny Dykes. The football program seems to be heading in the right direction. They're in Dallas and they have money and they'd be willing to, I think SMU would really be willing to work with the big 12 to, to, get something or to make it work out. But the question is, is does the big 12 really want 
uh, more Texas schools. If you bring in a Houston and SMU, it immediately raises their profile. There are already programs that recruit pretty well. So they're going in and coming for the same guys, which they already are to some extent, but they're going after the same guys TCU and Baylor are going for. So they might not love that. Um, I mean, if you look back at the uh, disbandment of the Southwest Conference and uh, Baylor getting into the Big 12, there's a lot of politics involved. So it's kind of a sticky situation when it comes to those Texas schools. But at the end of the day, if I was doing this, I would say Cincinnati, Central Florida, those two make a ton of sense. Uh, and then BYU because of the eyeballs they bring. And then I think I'd go Boise State because to partner them with another another school out in the uh, Rocky Mountain region. Now, as far as how that conference would stack up, I don't think it would be a stretch to say it could compete with the Pac-12. I mean, it could be as good of a conference as the Pac-12 just as far as on-the-field product goes in the current state of the Pac-12. The issue is the Pac-12 has major name brands. USC, that's a top five, six football program. They're a blue blood. Oregon uh, has a ton of money. Clearly, upward trajectory. They've got really good players. So on the the upper half of the conference, the Big 12 would lack what every other major conference has. But the depth would be, would be I think, just as good as the Pac-12. So the Big 12 could salvage something um, if it comes to if it comes to expansion. It'd be interesting to see where UCF and Cincinnati would match up because like, you'd think Iowa State, OSU, Cincinnati, UCF would be the top. and then Yeah, if you're looking sh- at short term, I mean, they'd be right up there. Right up there, and I don't think BYU would be too far. But neither Boise State. I think they'd all be teams that would immediately go, could go in and contend, and their athletic and football programs would immediately get a boost from that move too. So you would think they would only get better and better. Yeah, it's crazy what they're thinking with the Big 12, how it might disband, and now they're all of a sudden talking about expansion. So that's yeah, no, that's what they the most Big 12 fans were at least the ones of the schools that were legitimate candidates elsewhere. Obviously, wanted it to blow up, but right, like Brett said, it looks like they're they're stuck for now, so they're going to have to do something. All right, on to OU. Looks like they're down two scholarships, two days down two running backs. Yeah, so the Sooners who are a clear national championship contender are down to two scholarship running backs. So on last week's episode, we talked about how Marcus major is out with uh, him being academically ineligible. And now really, this is shocking. Trey Bradford, who just transferred in in the off season from LSU has parted ways, parted ways with the program. And there's some rumors circulating that he has been in talks with the LSU coaches about going back there. So there's nothing official on where he's going, but that's, that's a rumor out there, which really is bizarre to me with him only have he was already low on the depth chart at LSU. He comes to OU, you have injuries, guys kicked off the team, and suddenly he's easily the number three back behind Gray and Brooks, who both could likely be gone after this season. Brooks will be gone. I think there's a good chance Gray will be gone after the season too. So he'd have a legitimate chance to be the number one guy um, for OU next year. So it's an odd move, but OU better hope now that their running backs can stay health running backs can stay healthy because otherwise, I mean, they're in a pinch. Do you go with a walk on as that third guy? Do you move different players around? Um, I think Jeremiah Hall will be that third guy, but that's not a really yeah. Then you get into the now you don't can't do as much with what you want with the H backs. So there they. OU needs their running backs to stay healthy. Otherwise, that could be an issue for a team that 
is contending for national titles. So um, that is pretty pretty big news out of Norman. Staying in the Big 12 here, it looks like Texas has announced their starting quarterback. Yeah, so Texas, they had a, a long competition between uh, Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. And Hudson Card, the freshman four-star from Lake Travis just outside of Austin, wins the job. Thompson's the guy who played great in that Alamo Bowl, uh, went over Colorado, had a really, really good game. I think he was like 8 for 10, 8 for 11, threw a couple touchdowns, looked really good. But I'm not shocked to see Card win this job. I think he was the more talented of the two quarterbacks. He's younger, probably has more to learn. But for the long term of Texas, I think it makes sense. There could be some growing pains. Um, and they start start off the season with a couple um, kind of what could be a coin flip type matchups. So they're going to need good play out of him if they're going to beat Louisiana and then Arkansas in week two. All right, moving on, a pretty enticing matchup in 2024 yeah so lsu and usc announced that they are going to open the 2024 season in las vegas that will be an awesome matchup lsu already has they play uh, ucla this week and then they play uh ucla again i think in baton rouge on either 2023 or 2025 i don't remember for sure but this will be a, a good matchup the lsu fans will have a good old time in Las Vegas, and uh, will that be an Allegiant? I guess. Allegiant yeah, it'll be the new Allegiant Stadium. The <laughs> this had had been in the works for a long time before it was announced. So nothing to do with the alliance. But these are the type of matchups we might not being we might not be seeing uh, being scheduled as much uh, now with the alliance. Uh, you won't see as many SEC versus Big Ten, Pac twelve, or ACC non conference matchups. So. Got to take these ones in while we can. All right. That's all the college football news for the week. On to the trivia section. One for five last week. Pretty rough. Parker, thoughts on that? How do you feel? Yeah, no, that was uh, that was embarrassing. Uh, Clint brought the heat, but I should have should have been better. So hopefully, hopefully I turn it around here. All right. 30 seconds to answer each question. Question one. Who did Lee Corso pick with his first ever college game day headgear selection? Okay. I I feel like this was a Notre Dame-Florida State game. And I'm going to say he picked Florida State. 0 for 1, it was Ohio State, Brutus Buckeye. Question 2. This running back led the Big Ten in rushing yards in 2013. 20 seconds. Or 30 seconds. Ezekiel Elliott. Amir Abdullah. Oh, my gosh. 0 for 2. Question 3. These schools are tied with the most Heisman winners of all time with seven. Name them. Oklahoma. Notre Dame. Is there more? Is there one more? One more. Ohio State. 1 for 3. Question 4. What SEC running back won Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2005? 30 seconds. NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year? Yeah. 2005 SEC Running Back Offensive Rookie of the Year. Fifteen seconds. Mm. I don't know. Cadillac Williams. 
Auburn. Dang. One for five. Question five, or one for four, sorry. Question five, who replaced Bear Bryant at Alabama after his retirement in 1982? I know, this is not my answer. I know Gene Stallings was there, but I don't think he was the immediate predecessor. 20 seconds. I'm going to say Gene Stallings. I know that's not right, though. Ray Perkins. Another one for five week, Parker. These are, these are a little a little hard. But, uh, yeah, so hopefully either Clint makes these questions easier or I'll get smarter <laughs> between now and next week. So uh, after that five for five, Clint has brought the heat and it's just killing me. This you challenged me. You know, I'm, you I did. Five I, five I, every week, I know. So. I'm, 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 I'm honestly embarrassed. But uh, another another really fun episode here. Once again, thank you, Brett McMurphy for coming on. That was really an awesome interview. Like Clint said earlier, we're going to have two episodes this week, so that's going to be fun. On Thursday, we'll be coming out with our week one special where we'll be diving into the biggest matchups of the week and looking ahead to the season, making some championship picks, some Heisman picks. So that'll be a lot of fun. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, College football is here, and we are super excited. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. 